Once I stood at the foot of a great high mountain that I wanted so much to climb. And on top of this mountain was a beautiful fountain and beside it the tree of life. I fell down on my knees at the foot of this mountain, cried out, Odin, what must I do? I want to climb up and see, want to learn from this tree that grows so clear in my view. top of this mountain, saying, child, these are my roots. Just start with Fehu, and climb on upward between the etheric and root. Odin's advice, and the higher I got, the harder I July. 
gonna build me a log cabin on a mountain so high, so I can see Willie as he goes on by. I play cards in England and I play cards in Spain. I'll bet you ten dollars I'll beat you this game. Welcome to Odin's Alchemy. Today we have the great pleasure of welcoming Chance 
Chance is the host of Interverse. If you haven't watched Interverse, I'm kind of shocked because you I talk about it fairly regularly. And uh, the last time that I talked to Chance, Chance and I uh, had a brainstorm of epiphanies. And uh, we only make the show two hours, so we wanted to uh, give it a little break, come back and see where both of us are landing and where our heads are. Uh, in between then and see if we can't continue that magic and with that uh, Chance why don't you go ahead and tell everybody uh, where to find you just in case they can't figure it out and uh, uh, kick it off brother hey thanks for having me on Ben definitely been looking forward to this because since we last spoke and the topic for everyone's uh, memory is that we discussed the world tree or the cosmic egg as a flat earth cosmology. And then we found a lot of interesting insights about that when comparing it to electric universe as a theory. So the highlight for me was, I think maybe other people have caught on to this before because it just makes sense when you know about these things. But we puzzled up the idea that possibly Ragnarok is an electrolysis event and generates the sludge like the Browns gas machine and creates that mud or extra land. And so since we talked about a month ago or however long ago it was, maybe a little longer, I've been just opened up to the, the mystery of this cosmic egg and of cosmology and of uh, maybe other, I wanted to know like, what else could this connect to? Because when we deal in the realm of the esoteric and the metaphysical, well, just the one straightforward answer of what it is we mean when we're talking about a subject, like the symbolism of the egg, well, since life in reality is a huge fractal, there's way more to it than just looking at it as the realm itself. There's all up and down the fractal of life force energy. This dynamic would need to demonstrate itself. Otherwise, it's probably not accurate. And so in uh, recent conversations with various people on my show and other shows, the Further insights have just been falling out of the sky into my lap <laughs> as I go. And it's really led me on a pretty wild ride that I'm excited to try to summarize with you today. I've got a slideshow and we'll see what we can get into. Fantastic. It might be <laughs> too much, but we'll do our best. It will not be too much. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> just too much for maybe I, one I show. We'll, we'll see if we can fit it in. Yeah, jump right in, brother. Everybody's heard the uh, the model that I've been working on. And after you're done with what you're talking about, I will uh, uh, lay out a few epiphanies, a few things that I figured out and worked on. And, uh, and thinking, uh, we'll just collaborate in with my presentation. That'd be great. It'd be cool to kind of just weave. So just pop in if you have a thought about. Oh, 100 percent. And uh, 100%. also, I didn't say you can find my stuff at innerversepodcast.com. I'm also on YouTube and Rockfin and BitChute and Odyssey. And of course, like your standard audio RSS feed playing podcast catchers. Best place to watch my show would be Rockfin because they actually support. And, you know, Ben already has told you guys about that. So interversepodcast.com is where you find my show and find the other things I'm up to besides just the main podcast. But yeah, Jared will bring up the first slide. We can kind of kick off with the opening thoughts here. Uh, this is a few quotes from the poet William Blake, where he says, first, the imagination is not a state, 
it is the human existence itself. <laughs> so that is a huge, huge statement that we will hopefully be able to reflect on as we go. Or I just want to put that idea in your mind. He's also saying, imagination is the real and eternal world of which this vegetable universe is but a faint shadow. And he says, finally, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. And on the right here is just a artwork from his uh, great works of epic poetry about the fall of Albion. And he had some very interesting cosmology. He was one of those artists that created his own system. And you can learn a lot about uh, a lot, a lot about life and the dynamics of the positive and negative and the yin and the yang and the masculine and the feminine, the real and the artificial by studying William Blake, which I admittedly haven't studied as much as I could. I'm just definitely a fan of what I do know. And these quotes are important to kick us off because what we're going to be diving into in terms of cosmology and metaphysical mythology has a lot to do with the imagination because without the imagination, you wouldn't be able to see how these things connect up and down the fractal. And as I've heard you say, Ben, there's more of the world than just the carbon lock stuff that we perceive on this level of density or whatever you want to describe it, this dimension. Life force energy is the thing in the cosmos that is one. And that's like the ether or the electricity. That's I'm going to drive flowing. north a little bit, honey. So that's like, well, the, then you uh, got to put Yoden in. He, he's going to try and. <laughs> That Jotun's attacking. <laughs> very, very hardcore. But yeah, the imagination is um, that life force energy flow as well. I pers I believe personally that what we perceive through our imagination is in every sense as real as anything else. And that that's why we can connect with ancestors in the dream. That's why we can uh, pull things out of in the infinite with our creative uh, acts and creative capacities that reflect life and nature, even though we may not have known consciously what it was that we were reflecting. It's the idea of channeling, I guess, but you can find out real things by using your imagination. So it's really a, a better way of maybe describing this in a simple statement is that imagining is not a form of thinking. All forms of thinking are imagination. It's the primary ground of all existence. It's when you talk about source, when you're the source of something, you originate it, you made it up. And in the sense of the God or the all father or source in this reality that we find ourselves in, the larger mind that we are small vessels carrying a portion of, that larger mind, that source is also itself dreaming or imagining or making things up as it goes in a very creative artistic flow state that we are really well off to emulate as human beings. So um, <laughs> that's kind of my introduction to the whole topic. And I really like this particular artwork that is shown on the right here because uh, these realms that are labeled here, they're part of his creative cosmology that he came up with. But it's interesting that the sort of egg shape is right there in the middle. And it makes me wonder like what else I could pull out of his works. But let me see what is on the next slide. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and look at the next slide too. These are just some depictions of Yggdrasil, the uh, world tree, Yggdrasil. And 
I wanted to bring these images up into our minds before we proceed forward, because I think on the left here, this is very similar to the idea of a cosmic egg. I do not have a personal difference or beef between the idea of a world tree or a cosmic egg. I think they are just two metaphors for describing the same thing, which is what Ben calls the galvanic battery system that we are a part of, this closed uh, closed realm, right? So what? Uh, if ben, ben, if you're in a good place and want to respond to any of this, then I'd love that because on the right here, there's this Yggdrasil uh, chart that shows the nine realms, and that is is pretty interesting to me. It's not something I'm at nearly as adept at as you are, but I have found that as I've followed your work, that a lot of it makes great sense, like the gender switch from the Western esoteric canon to make the sun the more prominently feminine one and the moon the more masculine one. Plenty to say about these, this cosmological system that I find interesting is the Holy Trinity is a part of it. There's an upper world and a middle realm, which is the, the flat centerpiece and then the lower realm. And these first divisions uh, of consciousness represent the life, the birth, the life and the death. And the other forms of this trinity are found all over the place. Like you talk about with Odin, Vili and Ve. there's the uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Jesus, Mary and John. There's Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva, obviously heaven and hell and earth, positive, negative, neutral, right? There's just angels, humans, demons, seraphim, cherubim, human. These holy trinities are symbolic to the foundational structure of the universe, the body, mind, spirit. So we will see probably a lot more representations of Trinity as we move forward because that's just how uh, the realm configures itself all the time. That's part of balance. That's part of the, yeah, the, the, light, the way life force energy flows is always in this interesting Trinity system that you can even pull out through numero numerological studies or gematria. Uh, like an example would be the way whenever you look at the Pythagorean tetractus, there's uh, the digits one through 10 and they're listed out in a triangle. And each row, each row is another trinity of sorts. And when you get to four, you do addition from one plus two plus three plus four, that equals 10 and creates another one. And so it becomes the, the one of another one, two, three, as in four, five, six, and then seven is the one of another trinity because one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven is 28, which reduces to a one. So every three digits, you get another number that through what they call theosophical addition reduces back to one. And so the whole sequence of numbers from one, two, three, and then four, which is another one, five, six, seven, seven is another one, eight, nine, 10, 10 is another one. So you're getting basically seven, eight, nine is a trinity, 10, 11, 12 is a trinity, 13, 14, 15 is a trinity. And this goes on because of this quality of numbers that the every every three, one, four, seven, 10, 13, and et cetera, these numbers reduce to one. So it's just trinities all the way up and down the scale of numerical reality and physical reality and the spiritual reality. And uh, probably so much more to say about trinities, but 
it's a, it's a fun conversation just to have a detour into that. And even when you look at the, um, the Yggdrasil on the right here, it's got sets of Trinity as well. There's depending on which way you look at it, there's Trinities across the middle um, going up and down or left and right. If the, if you feel me here, there's these, because it's nine. And so that's part of the three, six, nine mystery. We're going to get into more number stuff when we talk about Selfeggio later, but to continue on, really get into the cosmic egg. This is a piece of artwork that I'm very fond of created by a friend of mine named Hakan. And when Benjamin and I spoke on Interverse, we did a lot of looking at this image, but it was behind me. It's on this, it's on this tapestry behind me. And that means it wasn't quite as clear to look at as it is in a screen share. So we're going to be able to take a deeper look at this image. And I'm not saying that it's the end all be all map of the realm, but perhaps metaphysically there's truth to this image. And that's part of why I brought out that quote at the beginning with William Blake about imagination and the doors of perception and viewing the infinite. Because as I understand the story, homeboy actually saw this structure of the realm because he went on a massive like psychedelic uh, dmt journey and and saw it from the outside and so he's traveling in the astral realm or the imaginal through the use of a plant medicine and he uh <laughs> it's a funny story he said that when he got like outside of this egg structure and was looking at it there were these giant cthulhu monsters cephalophoid cephalopod demon crazy uh like squid face things and they're all scary and trying to freak him out and they're like we're gonna eat you and he said his response to it was that he knew that everything is a part of him and that all life is is one and that whatever he was experiencing was something inside of himself and not separate and not therefore a danger or a threat and as soon as he expressed this realization on his his trip or his journey the uh, Cthulhu monster beings were just like, so what do you want to know? <laughs> and he asked ah! them about, <laughs> he asked them about like, what am I looking at? And th this is where he like channeled or downloaded in a very quick uh, psychedelic journey. Cause DMT doesn't even last that long. This, this structure of the realm. So like, I don't know <laughs> how you come up with something like this without there being a, a aspect of nature and harmony being expressed because it's so amazing in terms of the, the complexity but the symmetry and the beauty of this artwork and to get into it we're looking at something that flat earth people are probably very familiar with in the the middle lower section of the egg here is this thing that in ancient egypt they referred to as the bin bin it's this step pyramidal pyramidical structure if you will of these layers like layers of a cake and Ben and I talked about this on Interverse, but there's a potential. I mean, all of the cosmology that we're getting into when we're looking at different ways of viewing the realm because of accepting, you, accepting the flat earth and rejecting the, the ball and the globe, all of this becomes conjectural and hypothetical. And maybe even more than one thing can be metaphorically true or accurate at the same time. So these uh, steps on the middle rings here that you're looking at are like mm -hmm. the worlds the realms and the very middle realm where you see the mercury symbol that would actually be like akin to the garden of eden because it exists along the spine of the world it's closest to the middle of the where the charge is coming from 
out of the source, if you will. The top of the egg and the bottom of the egg would be like the positive, negative, anode, cathode type of thing, potentially. And that the whole this whole system is actually multiple nested layers of like anode cathode battery. And yeah, Ben and I talked about this a lot. Well, it's multiple layers of a polarization. Exactly. Anyways, exactly. for sure. Multiple layers of polarization. And part of how it expresses is through the varied oscillations of the different what we call planets, but what maybe are actually sun and moon anode cathode polarity binaries on different layers of the shell. And so just like there's rings of a tree, there's these rings uh, in this conception of the world. And our ring would be the second one out from the middle. And then you'd have the Antarctic ice wall, if you will. And then uh, I can actually pull up, since we're talking about this section of it, let me pull this up. So this is a little bit more of a zoom in. And yeah, uh, our ring is where you see these like dancing people, if you will. And then further out, that would be the extraterrestrial lands or the other worlds. And in the next ring out, you have Mars and Venus as a sun and moon. And this is all this is all conjectural, right? But I find that it's very harmonious because when you look at the oscillatory patterns of these other luminaries that we call planets, when you look at them in comparison to how Apollo and Artemis or sun and moon in our particular world are actually oscillating and like the the pattern and design that it creates over time if you were to draw it out like in a graph like a, on a spirograph type of design you would notice that their cymatic patterns the, the venus makes the five pointed star actually the uh other the other luminaries have these cymatic patterns they're mapping out as well and when you learn more about cymatics and how they relate to colors and frequencies and organs and with the in the east and the vedic systems they call the chakras what you're looking at is potentially the original template of oscillation and movement that on a fractal sense either like generates or reflects in the as above so below alchemical way how these patterns express on other areas of the life energy spectrum like i said as color as organ systems as um, frequencies and tones you know that's going to be something we definitely talk about because all these mysteries are there, uh, especially in the classical tradition, whenever we start digging in and looking into the symbolism with a more critical eye. So uh, there's way more conjecture that you can take just out of this image or out of other conceptions of a, a world tree or a cosmic egg. Like it's interesting how maybe in this version, North is the center and Polaris in some sense, the North star. Uh, is the unchanging fixed point and you know there's the uh, the Draco constellation that circles around the North Star very interesting uh, possibilities in terms of how that has mythologized down through the ages with the, the serpent and the uh, yeah like Polaris though being the North Star I feel like that could be things need to be polarized for there to be a charge in the system right so Polaris the north yeah, absolutely north is an anagram for throne it just doesn't have the e but you could pronounce it that way so that's potentially like as marty leeds has talked about polaris is like the throne of god or christ or the mercury figure the one that's in the middle 
Oh, I'm hearing a train there. Is that a train on your end? You about to hop on a train? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're good, man. I just cracked me up. So the middle section. It's, of the, it, it, it's apparently going to be everything today. <laughs> They're hitting us with every, everything in the kitchen sink. Well, I don't want to maybe go too deep into spending all our time just talking about the, unless there's specific things we want to focus on, on potential explanations of the cosmology, because there's so much about just this image we could learn about and, and that maybe these other rings um, are very important for the previous ages. Like there's an electric universe based theory that says Saturn at one point was in the middle and was the sun. Right. And if this would be, if this is at all true, uh, the conceptualization we're talking about where the, the rings expand with the electrolysis events and new land is added, then perhaps at the beginning of the gestation period of this cell in the cosmic body of God, if you will, was that instead of Mercury being the uh, both sun and moon androgynous luminary as it is in the middle ring now, that there was just the one ring world and Saturn slash Jupiter were one luminary and they split in two kind of like uh, you know you get that in the mythology of how saturn spawns jupiter right and then jupiter becomes seen as kind of seen as greater so uh it with each successive electrolysis event or mud flood or new land growing in this structure you would create a new ring world and new barrier that the uh, barrier is actually what they call the Van Allen radiation belts, what NASA tells us that we can't go through. Those, I think, are toroidal fields of electromagnetic energy in a strong density that constitute like what we experience maybe as a firmament, and that the sun and moon binaries of each ring world are actually traveling along or in some way guided by these toroidal fields, these uh, electromagnetic Van Allen belts, they call it. <laughs> It's very possible. Like there's, there's so so much that you can infer when you think about this uh, and keep going with it. And at the end of the day, another way to conceive of it, though, is that it's just that it's not that it's just a vast clock, but it is a vast clock. Um, so I have, yeah, I, I've been looking at this this particular image and the idea of the cosmic egg for a very long time, and specifically find it interesting that we're talking about in society a lot lately about escaping the matrix and that they actually are handing us that idea as a good idea that we want to get away from the matrix, get out of the matrix. But matrix actually means womb. And if the cosmos or the realm we're in is a sort of giant womb or an egg, then you wouldn't really want to get out of it <laughs> until it was the right time to be born. And going back to this image, it's interesting that you have a being actually like ascending from the top. And uh, there's these angelic, oops, I just skipped forward. I want to save that slide for a second. But there's these angelic beings to the left and right of it. And you see that symbolism a lot. You'll see it later in a, another slide from the Vatican. And anyway, uh, escaping the matrix is kind of like saying escaping from nature. And what really, like with many of these words that we've been handed and told that they're bad words or, or uh, demonize these concepts, it's maybe a better idea that we take them back and recognize that 
the truth in the words instead of wanting to run away into artificial virtual realities <laughs> and hop into artificial wombs because that's what the socialization, the feminization, uh, solarization of the world with this, what you would call luciferic, not that I'm dogging on that symbol because that's another one that you can take back, but like what's described as a luciferian false light luxury system where people are blinded and dazzled by the light just in the same sense that uh, we're told that we're going into an overly solarized period with global warming. And the interesting thing about that is that's also by your conceptualization, it's a feminization of the realm. And we definitely see that with the, the men and the women of the realm that are being overly feminized and actual masculinity is, is, is largely being lost. So uh, we don't wanna run away from the feminine either we just want things in the right place and to recognize that you know, we're the whole earth the whole realm is uh, a type of a womb and that it's always emanating the energies that we need for life and if we can absorb that etherically electrically and we can learn to work with and harness these energies that are always present instead of uh, doing this thing like you and mitch talked about on your recent episode where everything's dirty electricity we want to find a way to, to live in the harmonious version of ether and electricity and energy. But I found an interesting link in Gematria because I am super curious about this whole idea of simulation theory. I don't subscribe to it, but like, why is this a thing? And I've done a lot of content on that in the past. And this is a slide from an older presentation I did on it. And I happened to notice that in Gematria, in the four basic ciphers that everyone uses, the words and or the phrases god's child cosmic egg and video game all have an exact match across all four ciphers and i thought that's really bizarre and then of course i had to throw in this image of neo and it looks like he's in kind of like an egg pod yes. an artificial womb of sorts and uh the question is that then is our reality is life like what i want to pose the question of is life just a dream that you have while you're in a womb preparing to be born into another life and another existence and that that's the reincarnation cycle not that this place isn't real but just that uh life and death are portals to from womb to womb to different levels of wombs in a, a fractal sense that when you're born into this realm you're also incubating your next life in the following existence if that makes sense. And then on and on it goes, like the idea of, of uh, Russian nesting dolls. And because in every layer, our 3D experience of the, the carbon lock experience, what we are doing in here uh, as cells in a large body that have individuated consciousness as vessels, we're like, we're like the, uh, the process and the story through which consciousness explains and expedites the, pro the whole process of of life coming together, of life growing and developing, of the metamorphosis from the embryonic into the, the infant and, and then into a larger form of life. So we're always in a sense incubating and expanding and growing life. And as individuals coming together and connecting and celebrating the, the healthy electricity <laughs> and, and communicating and building, that is like akin to the uh, parts of uh, the embryonic 
stage of a baby coming together and growing into a larger, more capable life form. And so perhaps like, you know, we're all moving into a phase of, they say becoming God, but I don't want to say becoming God or gods per se, but maybe like as individual experiences here, maybe we're like cells in a bigger body that then we could jump up in the scale to <laughs> be born out of uh, whatever womb this is. But that's all just like fun, esoteric conjecture. I want to maybe move on, but if if you feel good about Chuck okay. it in here at any point. Go for it. Absolutely. Now that I actually can, and I'm going to have to really enjoy watching the first half hour of the show here and hearing I could only hear chunks of that. And now finally I'm in a spot where it said I had good bars, but I just, it was very sketchy. Um, I enjoy in that picture where uh, you can see that it's two fields where it almost looks like a black hole in the back where it's actually, you can see there's two fields. And even on the uh, shell itself, there's one side's got one color, one side's got another color. And what, you're, what you have happening there is, is that these uh, particles between the anode and the cathode, that particle splits and travels across. And so you have a positive on one side and a negative on the other side and that cre ends up creating a, an actual magnetic field also. So you've got an electric field and a magnetic field that are interlocking together and interplaying with each other. Um, absolutely wonderful. And then that field then becomes the feminine side of things as opposed to where then the masculine side of things is that straight line dead center. Um, where it started where it takes in the masculine set of things uh yeah this uh representation is just wonderful i'm a uh, heck in his sim uh that this is yeah, the he's way a he guy found from turkey that. he's a he's a turkish artist that's fantastic that's um pretty, pretty amazing his other work is yeah it, but this is just like mind-blowing it, it really is um and then yeah we just live on the mercury level that's where the life our life is going to appear i also found it very interesting um where outside of this everything was very aquatic you know this is the dark waters and the light waters you know these waters are too uh intense for us to deal with and then you look at uh like uh, uh crowley with his age of horse figures uh and uh levi anytime you're looking at that the world tree to the the uh what's the serpent's yep. name again jormungandr right and and it's always aquatic uh uh creatures outside of the realm that you're dealing with yeah, and the, the same uh, thing space is the sea the uh, heavens right. are an ocean, and there's so much symbolism replete in the esoteric tradition to show that. And also find it interesting that snakes eat eggs. And so when uh, an egg is cracked by outside pressure, life ends. But if an egg is cracked from within, life begins. And another interesting similarity just to electric universe and eggs is that eggs crack. And if you look at the pattern of an eggshell cracking, it is similar to lightning crackling lightning crackles and you see yeah. a similar sort of dendrite type pattern in an actual eggshell cracking as lightning in the sky so it's very there's 
just nonstop um, mirroring in nature these ideas. And I think that's why the symbols are so potent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, when you're looking at Yggdrasil, then uh, when you're uh, looking at the nine planets or the nine realms or the nine worlds or however you're going to want to call it, you can lay those out just like he, like the other artist did on the cosmic egg where Midgard is going to be your Mercury. And then everything above Midgard where you're going to have your Muspelheim, your Elfheim, uh, your Svartalfheim, things like that are going to be up above, or I mean, uh, uh, Asgard, uh, Alfheim, and then everything that's below that is going to be then more dense, more uh, like on this other picture where he's got the crystals down below, uh, but he has uh, more just the straight light up above, um, where when you're looking at the feminine side, the feminine side's your radiant energy, your chaos. And then the masculine side is your uh, uh, structure, your uh, crystal side, where you're going to get your body, your structuring from, um, your voltage for the amperage to flow. Uh, so just absolutely fascinating, um, fantastic stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I found, uh, since we last talked, one thing that I found that was also really interesting was this passage from the Vendidad, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's the, it's a, it's a book in the Zoroastrian scripture, the Avesta. And so I highlighted a couple of passages from, from this chapter and the God Yima, it says Yima made the earth grow larger by one third than it was before. And there came flocks and herds and men and at their will and wish as many as he wished. And to back up a little bit, the reason why Yima made the earth grow larger than one third than it was before. And then down in chapter or uh, verse 19, he makes the earth grow larger than by two thirds than it was before was because the people were complaining that the earth has become full of flocks and herds of men and dogs and birds and of red blazing fires. And there's no more, room for flocks herds and men and uh then yima it says yima stepped forward in light southwards on the way of the sun and afterwards he pressed the earth with the golden seal and bored it with the poignard speaking thus o spenta our mighty kindly open asunder and stretch thyself afar to bear flocks and herds of men so i'm not really familiar with the zoroastrian cosmology but I uh, found that to be just a very interesting. Well, I, I like that last part where, uh, so you look at um, Muspelheim and gold is your, uh, you know, your electricity, your sulfur, your energy. Um, so, and then with the poignard, which is a, a long straight sword. Too, it sounds just like the, what you described as the Ragnarok event. Yeah. Where uh, he's driving his sword through the nine realms um, and this is the, this would be the uh, uh, electrolysis event as opposed to the galvanic side of things. And during the electrolysis things, the, the batteries recharging, um, things are getting better consistently throughout that entire cycle. Uh, absolutely fascinating. I'm not a real uh, familiar with Zoroastrianism uh, 
either outside of you know the what most people have heard um that's fantastic and then and then the deluge so the water has to come after the fire and then everything gets replenished and there's room again and the same life that was there just comes crawling right up out of the sand out of the soil and reappears again and uh absolutely fantastic and then also when i was looking at uh the uh yuga cycles from the uh, hindu side of things when you're looking at it if you take it and look at it as basically a battery charge cycle and realize that uh, battery you know say above 80 percent everything works pretty good it works real good um, that you can consider that your gold side whether it's in the recharge or the galvanic where it's depleting either way that gold side where the battery's above 80 percent is one thing and then at, when the battery's in between 80 and say 70 it doesn't work real good and so on and so forth all the way down to the uh uh Kali yuga and in between the Kali yuga and the, the gold side there is an exact perfect vertical line where you could see where the switch would get flipped you know the battery's too depleted to run it now now we need to flip it and it would go through the other side of the cycle and then when it got to its capacity you flip it again and now it goes through the degradatory cycle um so absolutely fantastic now while we were talking i just happened to notice another pattern in this that i didn't even pay i didn't even notice the first time i was looking at this over but there's actually i only highlighted two but there's actually three lines here where he makes the earth grow larger and each time before like if you look at verse eight it says, thus under the sway of Yima, 300 winters passed away. And then it goes on talking about the earth being replenished with flocks and herds and et cetera, until there's no more room. And then he makes the earth grow. And then it says, under the sway of Yima, 600 winters passed away and the process repeats. And then the third time it had been 900 winters. So we have a 369 encoded into this process. I think that mm. that's fascinating and uh, that's going to come into 369 is definitely going to come into play later in what we're talking about. But I also have this artwork. Interesting that it's also in th divided in thirds uh, in a way. I cannot recall who the artist is here, but on this represents the birth, life and death, which is the Holy Trinity. And it's a component of everything that actually works and exists. Just like you were saying, the charge is stronger at the beginning then uh it, it goes steady but less strong and then it's fully decayed right there's that even applies to the battery but on the left here you have like garden of eden metaphorically adam and eve with just the animals and then in the middle panel it's when everything's growing and expanding and filling up with life and then on the right where everything's depleted and there's even like a what looks like a broken egg in here it's a very weird uh, artwork but Super interesting. Hieronymus Bosch, uh, Jared says, that's exactly right. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. So that's just, I, I like to look at the, um, the classic art for information. 
because I do think that they encoded way more than we give them credit for. And they probably knew way more than we give them credit for because the art survived the history and the story of the history. That's one thing, but this art, like <laughs> there it is. It tells a story for sure. Uh, and and the, the same thing is going to apply to any land that you move to. As soon as you start filling it up, uh, if you get too big a herd of cattle, uh, and you don't have enough range. You've got to have so many acres per cow or else the cow is just going to walk everything right into the ground, eat everything alive. Um, before you know it, all of a sudden there's not enough plant life to sustain life and everything just kind of moves on to this next area. Uh, fantastic. Very interesting that, uh, he has about the same amount of plant life in the second picture. Uh, Supporting way I'd more say animal the, life. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's very interesting. I, you wouldn't think that that's quite, but again, just an artist representation. And then in the third one, there's uh, so much wild stuff going on in the, in these three pictures though. Like we could talk, we could just look at this for a long time. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, very interesting. And then obviously in the third, um, you know, you're to the, you're, you stopped growing, you've stopped. And the same thing, it's not just the birth, death, and life, because somewhere in that middle phase, in that middle panel, you're going to stop growing. You're, you're going to quit expanding. And from that point on, you are going to start contracting. And that's decay. So that decay really starts at that dead center point. It just doesn't really become a problem until you get to that last third panel, um, which you'd say that. Uh, it's kind of like how birth is a short phase. Life is a huge journey and death is a short phase. The way that the panels are divided here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting art, artwork. Um, and now if we can move on from this, I want to look at, uh, some more imagery of what could be the cosmic egg. Now on the right is the famous so-called pine cone that's at the courtyard at the Vatican. And I'm not disputing that a pine cone is an appropriate symbol for this image. I could have maybe found better, but on the left here, or as far as pictures, but on the left here is, a. They call these in London pineapples, and they're on the top of these cathedrals and different ancient architecture that is, you know, we're probably 100% lied to about the origins of the ancient architecture. But your tour guide in London will tell you this is pineapples and that there's like this whole stupid story about pineapples being what uh, they were depicting because they just recently brought them to Britain. And it's really dumb. And the fact is this actual symbol is uh in my opinion i guess i say the fact is but i think that there's a strong case to be made that this is actually the egg it's the cosmic egg it's the orphic egg in uh, many different names but it's also a scaly egg it's a scaled egg and uh, well, it's, it's very interesting because have you have you heard my uh theory on uh christian uh origins I'd with like adam to. and eve um for it so obviously in uh Egypt, Palestine, Israel there there's uh not a lot of apple trees. It just doesn't really happen out in desert regions and things too much. 
Um, but pineapples, when you're talking about lush, you know, tropical, they don't have to do anything. Just so pineapples, which would be your pineal apple. Um, and the feminine always goes first. You know, she makes the move that unlocks the masculine. So, of course, then she unlocks it. She reaches up. You've got the, the pineal apple or the pineapple, um, which, again, is for the region. It's symbolized with a, gold on the left here. Yeah, yeah. And then you look at a pineapple. That's, you know, that's gold. Um, and it also is going to have this uh, same, you know, very similar to this, uh, to a, to the pine cone shape where it has the little spikes and everything else. Um, the Vatican so I've always peacocks to the left and right, which just to make a quick callback to this image, he included the uh, angelic cherubim on the left and right up here or seraphim, if you will, whichever it might be. So there's like, this is also on the Ark of the Covenant. You see this symbolism of like the two birds or winged creatures to the left and right of the uh, the pine cone or the pine the pine apple or the scaly egg right yeah, which continue. if you look if you if you look at it so like if we take and make this uh hermes staff what we can do is here we can uh uh make the cross the top of the cross right here the the birds are sitting right on top of the horizontal line and then the vertical line then extends down below what we can see by quite a bit um so this is just representing uh basically the top portion of things where you've got the wings coming out to the side you've got the um, sun there basically in the center or that golden circle there in the center the wings coming out to the sides you can see the symbology there we got a bunch of little men underneath there too <laughs> yeah but uh, before i move forward talking about christianity because i mean maybe you have more to say about that the next slides are actually definitely more on the christian tradition because look at this pope hat every pope actually has one of these special it's not the fish hat that you normally see they don't wear this every day but every pope actually has a unique one of these manufactured for themselves and i think they call it the papal tiara but it's always, <laughs> it's always egg-shaped it's always layered in these three layers, which is uh, very pertinent. And here's some more images of it right here. There's different ones. Uh, so this this symbol is replete throughout the Christian tradition, and we're going to get into maybe some more, or we're definitely into some more classical art uh, and Catholic stuff that demonstrates the, the symbolism that we're talking about here. Because of course, you know, at least in my opinion, these guys just scavenged the heathen traditions and the the real gnosis of the people bef that were there before these empire parasites took over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting what, uh, not on this pic set of pictures, but on the first one, um, you can see that the, uh, quite a bit of use of uh, lapis, uh, lapis lazuli. Um, there's citrine going on there. Yeah, I think ruby and emerald. Yep. Yep. Guess. Yep. So 
interesting, interesting choices that they're making. They, when you look at uh, anytime you're looking at the uh, older esoteric things, like you can see find old shields, things like that. They were very specific about which uh, jewels they had worked into there. It's not like they were uh, not aware that this really kind of looks uh, aesthetically. It's kind of gaudy in all reality. Um, and the same thing when you look at like Hindu jewelry and things like that, um, where it's got like the big chunks of uh, red coral, um, things like that with uh, the different spinels. Uh, and it's just really gaudy. Well, this gaudiness is because it wasn't really for aesthetics so much. So um, um, gaudy is not the same as God. <laughs> that they're right off like they're the god people right no doubt so you can see that he's basically uh turning his head into the uh what would be the uh the golden circle at the top where the pineal right here would be where the cross is so this would be, and then the wings would come off to the side right there. Yeah, so it's now that makes like me... sim symbolic that of the one wearing this as the mediator to everyone else is uh, a connection to the source or the uh, the imagination, the God, the ether god. Oh, and doesn't he have little? Look at that little wings coming out the side right there, right yeah, up. Yeah, there. there are those like those tassels or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that fabric. Yeah, it's very. Yeah very specific symbolism you know they don't just yes, it is they don't they don't just hire someone to do whatever but yeah should i move move forward with this some more yep yep absolutely okay. we're, we're doing pretty well um in terms of mostly because like, i couldn't talk for the first half hour so that made <laughs> yeah. things go smoothly that actually might have been a, <laughs> that might have been a good thing to help us actually finish the the slideshow you know which i think i was i was a little concerned with and maybe that i'd overdone it but Going forward, here is just a few examples of if you look up Mary with an egg, it's replete. And if she's not holding the egg, oftentimes it's somewhere in the background and shown with her. And uh, also sometimes the egg is red, which I wanted to point out when you were discussing the different gems that are on the papal tiara, the symbolism of color is highly significant. And it's something that Crow's gotten into before having some interesting discussions about that in my telegram channel today because i posted these images and i was like so why the red and uh, that led me to a pretty cool revelation that i'll get to but she's shown with the the egg constantly and even on the right on the far right there's the uh pointing the finger upwards like this and mm -hmm. that is representing or connecting to john the baptist actually and so there's further templar related mysteries with john the baptist so you've got to wonder why like both trump and uh fresh prince of smell hair the current actor of the uh <laughs> ceo of the united states federal corporation right uh uncle Hairsniff, he's also going to uh both him and trump go to like john the baptist themed or like related churches and it goes back to templarism and it's a long history of mystery about maybe some of these sects actually put 
the John the Baptist character in the place of Jesus, and there is a whole rabbit hole to go into with that. Uh, and well, and then there's really... what that whole that whole rabbit hole that says that the Templars actually uh, only follow John the Baptist and they hate Jesus because right he uh, he went uh, outside of the bounds of uh, the teachings and gave it to people that uh, were not initiated. And so they still follow John the Baptist and, and have an issue with G, with Jesus himself. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. That's what I was alluding to. And I find that really interesting uh, because <laughs> the John the Baptist character is just going to come up as we go forward. I'll just say that. But here's, a, here's another image of Mary with Jesus and John the Baptist on the left. And you got to wonder why. I don't know who the artist is of this image, but it's quite a fascinating one because you have what seem like multiple cultures and eras or time periods represented in one. And it makes me think that there may be some sort of like nod to the uh, previous world civilization that people call Tartaria that maybe uh, in the sense of the like false chronology that we've been given, that it's possible that many mythological stories that we get from supposedly different eras or time periods or places are actually the same story that's just had the names and the characters changed so that um, it can be repeated and feel like it has the ring of truth to people's ancestral cultural memory. But actually we're not, we're talking about a much shorter span of time. We're talking about one set of characters like that. Jesus and John the Baptist possibly could be another version of Isaac and Esau from the old Testament and about who deserves the inheritance and who's hijacking the inheritance. Very interesting question, because if you equated John the Baptist with Esau, who's wearing these animal fur skins, which is part of that story in the Old Testament, uh, that <laughs> anyway, we won't go too far into that particular tangent. That's a huge tangent. But on the left here, there's uh, it's kind of small, but there's a golden scaly egg-shaped chalice. And like I said, this is encoded in all kinds of uh, artwork, esoterically encoded, that pertains to Mary, Jesus, and John. Uh, moving forward, here's another one where Mary is holding the red egg and she has this golden chalice. And so, of course, we're thinking Holy Grail here, right? And I'm going to read from the poem Holy Grail by Alfred Lord Tennyson, where he says, and down the long beam stole the holy grail, rose red with beatings in it as if alive, till all the white walls of my cell were dyed with rosy colors leaping on the wall. And then the music faded and the grail passed and the beam decayed. And from the walls, the rosy quiverings died into the night. So, there's so many things in just this short passage. First of all, I just threw in here the uh, etymology of the word beam, which originally meant living tree, but then went on to mean a rafter, post, or ship's timber. And then la also later on, it went on to represent a beam of light. But uh, why I bring this passage up is because we're talking about womb metaphors. The egg is a type of gestation. It's a you know, when you're inside your mother's womb, you're sort of, you're coming out of the egg, metaphorically, you're growing from an egg, or you started as an egg. And in this, so in this poetry, the long beam 
down the long beam stole the Holy Grail. I believe the Holy Grail could potentially have to do with the blood. And um, there's some, some many traditions in the heathen world and in the esoteric sects of Christianity and the weird offshoots and secret societies like Templars that have to do with drinking the menstrual blood. And uh, the, the grail as a chalice symbol could have to do with holding the menstrual blood. And that's why it's gold. As you said, they're esoterically encoding that the gold is actually the feminine and the solar is feminine. Uh, and of course, they've given us the inverted version of that to throw us off of understanding anything, right? That's how, how it always works. Well, and, and what I'm finding fascinating in this poem, if uh, you've ever uh, incubated your own eggs, which I've done plenty of times, when you start out, you know, you, you take the egg and you put it under, you put it, go into a dark room and you check it out with an egg light. You make sure there's no cracks and everything's all good. And the egg white, the egg yolk, or the whole thing's basically white, the whole shell. Um, when you shine the light through it, it's all white. Everything's clear. And then as soon as life starts appearing inside of that, it, it gets veins. Uh, bright red veins will start crawling across the entire inside of that shell. Right. And Rosie then the whole thing. on the wall, right? That's what yes. it says in this poem. That, that's that's what I'm saying. So that really, really uh, brought to mind as I'm watching, like I said, uh, an egg incubating, that s sequence of events happening uh, inside the egg. Very interesting. Yeah. So now here's where hold on to your hats because we're like, this is where we start making some. Um, maybe it'll feel like bigger jumps, but maybe it won't, depending on what you have already learned, people out there listening about this subject. But we're going to now start talking about, since we've been discussing the egg, the placenta and how the placenta material has a long tradition in many different cultures that's vastly different than what we do with it now, which is treat it like biological hazardous waste in the hospital, but then it gets sold off to corporations to make shit like cosmetics and drugs and whatever. And we don't even know what happens to it. And so there's a, there's a lot to get into there with talking about the placenta, but just to like pull more symbolism out of this short passage about the Holy Grail, because my, my hypothesis here is that the, the Grail is the egg, is the placenta, is the blood or the life force energy that travels in the placenta. And uh, the it says the <laughs> the music faded the grail passed so does that mean it passed through the the vesica pisces the portal the vaginal cavity right it, birth happens the beam decayed so is the beam is the beam the living tree is that like the umbilical cord right and from mm -hmm. the walls the rosy quiverings died into the night well the placenta actually has a pulse when you're first when a baby is first born. It is pumping that blood back into or into the baby. It's all of that all of that life force energy that it was storing and providing for baby is still connected to the baby and still trying to get into the baby. And I know you've done a lot of talking in the past. We even talked about it on Interverse before about the the cell salts and how those three months that you're not in the womb represent uh, like what you weren't completely built with, like that wasn't added to you properly. And I am contending that maybe possibly placenta actually holds 
those materials that your mother didn't quite get into you or to some degree and that by leaving umbilical cord attached and letting the baby absorb that or maybe what some cultures do is they uh, actually the mother eats the placenta and then the idea like this is big in eastern cultures and ancient china the idea was that that replenishes the lost blood and the nutrients and the life force that the mother lost from the birth process from all the bleeding that happens and allows the breast milk to be more nutritious to the baby and make the baby stronger so i'm not saying i know the right way to handle or treat placenta but what we do with it is absurd and uh we're going to talk so much more about this is becoming like the main well, section in the animal kingdom they say that that placenta uh carries the information from every disease that that family line has ever had ancestral um connection yes every every ancestral disease um all kinds of information and this is from an animal so you don't want as an animal you don't want other animals eating the placenta despite how good it is for the mother and the mother will typically of most species will go eat at least a, a portion of that um that uh placentophagy you don't is a, yeah it's a real it's like all mammals practically do it right and uh but what you don't want is other animals licking on it or eating it because then they get wicked sick from it and that's because it contains all this information including a lot of disease information that you're that that baby is going to be exposed to that now it's basically pre-programming it for the things that it's going to meet now that it's in the world. And it's doing that in a way where the baby owns it now because the baby's taking that in through its own digestive system as opposed to taking it through the mother's blood. Now it's getting put through the digestive system and it's being incorporated in an entirely different way. And that's going to help you set up your entire biome uh, which is your root mind. Your, you know, your. Everybody realizes that your stomach thinks for a lot of people, and so that's going to set that up and set up all the different things in that biome. Yeah, um, there's also the spiritual side of placenta that I want to talk about more when we go further with it. That uh, as a living being or a part of you that carries all of your DNA, that there is a very deep spiritual element here uh, in terms of a consciousness element that we're very, very unwise, in my opinion, to disregard with the way that birth is done in the mainstream and in hospitals. Another way that placenta is sometimes handled by other tribes and cultures around the world, which I find very symbolic, like the Maori people in New Zealand, are very adamant that the placenta must be buried in their homeland because it physically or spiritually connects the the human being to the land and when we look at how much of the whole vatican maritime law legal sorcery all revolves around like commercial code revolves around the law of the sea and having people be off the land and on paper in the paper sea the papacy and like there's so much to it and using their finance systems and their banks and their currencies currents of the right like there's just all this water symbolism and mary who we're just showing here is mare 
in Latin, which is sea. Even in Japanese, the word maru means sea or mar, the root. It goes replete through many languages. And uh, this is the sea of the amniotic fluid that you're floating in inside the egg metaphorically. And we're going to talk some, there's more to say about, about placenta metaphors and stuff, but I think it's interesting that you've got tribes like Maori, which are way more fierce people, even though they're Westernized to a large degree, you've seen some of their resistance to the uh, cooties lockdowns happening in that part of the world. They're like, you know, big groups of men and they're like, they're ho oh, oh, ho, and they're like dance, intimidating, doing intimidating dances as a group, like warriors, right? And yep. they are fighting to defend yeah, their land, where all all the people in like Australia and the Westernized countries, they're way less fierce about defending their land. I'll say that. No offense to the Australians or Canadians or you know Californians, <laughs> but the well, it's, it's part are, of why it's part of why they've neutered uh, men. It's part of why they've made violence into such a horrifying scary thing when the fact is is violence is a very normal thing it, it, it's not something that you should necessarily like just go start splaying all around but there's all kinds of things that are violent that are absolutely normal and if somebody is is trespassing on your person on your family on your well-being it's normal for you to react in a violent manner in order to stop that. And they have tried to take, then they've taken it all the way down to where when I was a kid, it wasn't quite like this, but by the time my kids were in school, it didn't matter who got in, who started the fight. That didn't matter anymore. It only mattered if uh, the only way you were going to get, not get in trouble is if you curled up in a little ball and waited for authorities to come stop this other kid from beating on you and then you would okay then you are not going to get in trouble so the ability to defend yourself even is frowned upon you're you're just being violent period and it's it's insane and they've turned it into where absolutely and, and now that the they're the ones committing the violence on us they're the ones doing things like and I'm going to bring this up uh, uh, just in the last moment. Uh, but they're the ones doing things like rounding up Aborigines and force vaccinating people that don't want it and claiming it's for their good. You're you're literally and forcing things into another people, chemicals that they don't want, that they don't believe in. And you can't prove has any has helped has any efficacy, is any good. And the side effects are still being studied. So when you're the ones doing the nasty things, then it's it's not okay that you went and told everybody, all the men that you knew were going to stand up, you made sure that you neutered them and made sure there was nobody to stand up anymore. And, and that's sad and pathetic. And also sad and pathetic that we let it happen. So time to quit doing that with that. Bye-bye YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point to cut off with YouTube there. That's good. That's good, man. 